Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church, advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. verses 12 to 28. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. 
and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. A young man came to a house of prayer. They did not ask what brought him there. He was not friend and he was not kin. But they opened the door and let him in. And for an hour the stranger stayed He sat with them and seemed to pray But then the young man drew a gun And killed nine people, old and young In Charleston in the month of June the mourners gathered in the room the president came to speak some words and the cameras rolled and the nation heard but no words could say what must be said to all the living and the dead so on that day and in that place The President sang Amazing Grace The President sang Amazing Grace Today is a day of two important remembrances. One I named in the opening words of the service, the commemoration of the bombing of Nagasaki which happened 75 years ago today. The other is the murder of Michael Brown, which took place in Ferguson, Missouri, six years ago today on August 9th, 2014. Michael Brown, as you'll recall, was an unarmed African-American young man weeks away from starting community college. He was 18 years old. He was shot by a police officer and though his death was close to instantaneous. He lay in the street and was not taken by ambulance for over four hours while the people of his community surrounded him in mourning and outrage. Michael Brown's death sparked an uprising against the racism throughout the system of policing in St. Louis County 
and the inhumanity that would allow a young man to lie bleeding in the street for hours. The response was both a protest and a declaration that not just reform, but a whole new reality was necessary. From the night that Brown was murdered on August 9th, night after night, the Ferguson front line, as the activists who led the protests were called, took to the streets, making clear that the crisis wasn't over and their demands must be met. These activists made national news, as you'll recall, and their courage and their insistence on a transformed world fueled the movement for black lives as it began to spread across the nation. One of the activists of the Ferguson front line, night after night, was Cori Bush, African-American pastor, nurse, single mom, and activist. In last week's sermon, I talked about a worship service that I was a part of as, as part of the truth-telling project in St. Louis, a project that was set up to take testimony from persons of color about violence they had experienced from police or agents of the state. Corey also preached that day, but I learned after the service that she hadn't expected much from me, a white clergywoman. In my remarks that day, I shared about an experience on the streets in which the black woman beside me and I were in an exchange with a white male police officer. The situation escalated and the officer moved to touch my companion's shoulder. The scene quickly became much more dangerous and loaded for her than for me. And in my sermon, I addressed the centuries of traumatic history of white men and black women's bodies. Afterwards, Pastor Corey came up to me and said, you surprised me. I can't believe you went there. You don't know how much this means for a white woman to say that, let alone white woman clergy. It means a lot. Now, I don't share this experience to lift up how great I am or how woke I am, but just to say that it was a moment of grace a moment of connection. And Corey and I began to text every now and then words of support and reminders of that moment of grace. The next year, Corey decided to run for U.S. Senate. Her candidacy stunned many people since she didn't have any experience in national politics, but she felt called. She ran her first campaign and was defeated but learned a lot. Her grassroots support continued to grow. Two years later in 2018, she ran for Congress against the nine-term congressman in her district and was defeated again. But her hashtag became from protest to politics. Well, today we continue our series on the platform of the Movement for Black Lives with a focus on the platform piece of political power, which states, we demand independent political power and black self-determination. We demand independent black political power and black self-determination in all areas of society. We envision a remaking of the current U.S. political system in order to create a real democracy where black people and all marginalized people can effectively exercise full political power. 
Independent political power and self-determination has always been the goal of a free people and the desire of a God who created us in freedom. Our scripture for today comes from Genesis and tells an early piece of the story of Joseph. Joseph, of course, was the son of Jacob, the great-grandson of Abraham. Abraham was an immigrant to the land of Canaan and having, having traveled there, instructed by God, as you'll recall. He was considered a resident alien and even as his family began to grow, their status in this land was tenuous. Their political power in this land was almost non-existent. Joseph was one of many brothers. When he was 17, he was sold into slavery by these same brothers. Scripture tells us there were many reasons his brothers didn't like him. He was reportedly his father's favorite. He had this flashy coat given just to him by their father. And God had gifted him with the ability to interpret dreams. At one point, Joseph told his family of several dreams he had wherein it seemed like fields of wheat and the sun and the moon were bowing down to him. His brothers feared that these dreams meant that he would subjugate them and rule over them. And so when given the opportunity, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. The traders who bought Joseph sold him to Potiphar, an Egyptian captain of the royal guard, and he was taken into Egypt. Through a series of events while enslaved in Egypt that included being falsely accused of assault and imprisoned, Joseph's ability to interpret dreams came to the attention of Pharaoh. Pharaoh could see how useful this ability was to ruling and elevated Joseph to be the second in command. Second in command may seem like political power, second in command over all of Egypt. Joseph had the ear of Pharaoh. He lived in the palace grounds. He spent time with others in the royal court. But was this really political power? During that time, Joseph acted as second in command to Pharaoh. And during that time, a famine came to pass. And through another series of events, Joseph was reunited with his brothers, his father, and all of his family. Instead of losing their lives in the famine, Jacob, Joseph's father, and all of his extended family moved to Egypt under Joseph's protection. Now this may seem like political power, but as history showed, the kind of political power that Joseph held was untransferable and unsustainable. It didn't arise out of the support of the people. We know from scripture that though the Israelites initially prospered under Joseph's patronage and immediate legacy, within several decades, they became slaves of Pharaoh and Egypt. Joseph's power wasn't political power at all. It was favoritism and privilege in an autocratic system. If power doesn't arise out of the will of the people, it isn't power at all. It's despotism or worse, coercion and oppression. 
When Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery out of fear of his dream that they would be subjugated to him, they seem only able to imagine a political system of dominance and control. This platform piece of the Movement for Black Lives is calling all of us to imagine a radically different way of organizing ourselves and governing ourselves. The kind of political power that is the goal of the Movement for Black Lives is political power that arises out of right, just, and mutual relationship with all involved. Joseph's story is the kind of rise to power that the United States, with all of our myths of rugged individualism, loves. Here is a man who, against all odds, rose to second in command of the Pharaoh. Joseph pulled himself up by his bootstraps. But what we need to see is that these narratives and tropes of individuals succeeding over racism or sexism or homophobia or national origin and other oppressions are bait to maintain systems of control. The kind of power that Joseph had is the opposite of real political power. The kind of power that Joseph had conferred by one undemocratic ruler would never be able to transform something as systemically insidious as racism. If we accept the messages about power in this kind of paradigm, individual black persons would be somehow responsible for rescuing themselves from racism. But what we know is that unjust systems are collectively maintained and so must be collectively dismantled. After her 2018 defeat in the race for Congress, Cori Bush filed again to run in the 2020 election for U.S. Representative for Missouri's first district. Over the four years that she had been pushing from protest to politics, the power of the people with her had grown tremendously, as had their numbers. It was no longer just those who knew her in St. Louis and activists who had been with her in the streets. She was featured in a Netflix documentary about a new kind of grassroots leadership in our nation. In every speech and every appearance, Corey lifted up the stories and needs of those around her, her comrades on the Ferguson front line, persons who face violence and bias from police officers, the struggles of single moms, the need for better education in black neighborhoods and free access to preschool and higher education for all, the right to a livable wage. She accepted no corporate donations. In the course of the campaign, tens of thousands of individuals gave her an average donation of $20 and 50 cents. On Tuesday, Missouri voters went to the polls again. In Missouri's first district, the populace is so overwhelmingly Democrat that the primary race is the real race. The election in November will really just be kind of an anti-climax. Pastor Corey faced the same 10-turn incumbent to whom she lost by more than 20 percentage points in 2018. It was a tense day, and as I checked returns uh, through the day and into the early evening, Corey was trailing. My heart fell. Not more bad news, I thought. 
But by the end of the night, with 100% of precincts reporting by just 3,400 votes out of almost 160,000, Corey had won! Tuesday night, Corey tweeted and posted just three simple words. Not me, us. In her victory speech, she said, we've been called radicals, terrorists. We've been dismissed as an impossible fringe movement. But now we are a multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-faith mass movement united in demanding change, in demanding accountability, in demanding that our police, our government, our country recognize that black lives do indeed matter. What we know from biblical history is that God is always pulling us toward real freedom self-determination, a politics of justice, and ultimately, peace. To be responsive to God's call, we must ensure that the demands of protest lead to the organizing of new and just political systems where harm is repaired, resources are shared, common good is championed, and brokenness is reconciled. The time of Joseph gave way to the time of Moses, when the Israelites, through organizing and struggle and protest, moved out of oppression to political power and toward liberation. The God of Joseph, of Moses, of Cory Bush, and of us, is always calling us toward a place of justice and freedom. What we know from the story of the Israelites' journey toward a place of political power and self-determination is that it was a marathon. Their sojourn in the desert took a long time. We are in a bleak time right now, and many of us are looking for hope. May the victory of Cory Bush be for us like the manna given from God to the hungry Israelites in the desert, bread from heaven to sustain us on the way. May we amplify black voices and black experiences so that they are heard and heeded at every level of our communities and societies. And may we ultimately achieve God's vision of justice and peace, heaven on earth. Amen.
podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week. For everyone born, a place at the table. For everyone born, clean water and bread. A shelter, a space, a safe place for growing. For everyone born, a star overhead.
Oh, a covenant shed.